James missing again at the foul line. A whistle. James goes down hard to the court. Caruso and Payne get into it. Montrez Harrell runs into campaign and coaches leave the bench area. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen. Today, I'm going to recap two of these early playoff games that I thought were particularly intriguing. This week, we're going to do an episode, a solo recording by yours truly, without uh, Kamel, uh, the master, the don of this podcast, uh, just because um, it just works for us this way this week. I'm sure you guys have listened to like solo episodes from Coombe as well. Um, but yeah, um, the two games I wanted to look at were actually the Suns versus the Lakers and the 76ers versus the Wizards. And I'm talking about a game one of these series, just in case this episode is published, uh, say, after game two of each of these series. Starting off with the Suns versus the Lakers. For me, this was the best game that I've watched this season. And you might look at the box score and say, oh, look, was uh, the Suns actually won this game 99-90 so it wasn't a particularly close one but um, I would argue that yes despite some razor thin games that we've seen in these uh, particularly in these early playoff games uh, this was fascinating for a multitude of reasons firstly let's look at it from the Suns perspective Chris Paul I cannot believe that the team decided to keep him in the game for as long as they did, despite what appeared to me to be a stinger injury. And if you guys don't know what I mean by that, so essentially, it's if your brachial plexus, which is basically like all the nerves that run down your arm, uh, they're all they all like start off in like a big bunch around your neck area, all these nerves. And uh, say sometimes if you like whip your neck in the wrong way or you get hit in that area and say if that it hits those bunch of nerves, you get this like stinging, painful sensation down your whole arm. And indeed, it can be even be difficult to move your arm. I, I remember I experienced it one time, like maybe 10 years ago. I woke up like in the middle of the night and I just turned my head too quickly. And then I just, for, honestly, for two days, I could barely move my neck. Like, yeah, it was agonizing pain. Uh, I don't know how drastic Chris Paul's was, but the fact that he was out there for, you know, 20, 25 minutes after the injury, I couldn't believe it. Because to me, it looked like a stinger. And I know they called it a contusion, which suggests, that, okay, it's just like some sort some bruising. But it wasn't that. Just the way he was, like, moving and everything. And the way... It affected him. So if you guys actually saw the game, he lost his uh, he lost his dribble on his right hand like three or four times, just like simple dribbles on his right hand. He was just losing the ball, and as the commentator said, like I haven't seen Chris Paul do that in years. <laughs> just him losing the control of the ball like that. He's one of the best dribblers in the league. So I knew something was wrong even when he did it the first time because. It was out of a simple uh, pick and roll uh, above the three-point line. He was just um, dribbling next to his defender with n- minimal pressure, and he suddenly lost the ball. And I thought, yeah, so- something's wrong there. And uh, Monty Williams decided that 
because he's such a flawed general and leader that it, they were best served as a team for Chris Paul to play out the game rather than what I thought the best option was, was to bring on somebody like Tory Craig. Bring on that length, that somebody who can shoot, but also, um, who's also a versatile defender. He can, he can easily match up on LeBron, maybe even front up AD in the post. Um, he's just a really versatile defender. He's, he's a perfect guy, I, in my opinion, to play against the Lakers. He only ended up playing three minutes. Uh, and if you were to bring on Tory Craig for Chris Paul, obviously Tory Craig isn't going to bring the ball up. But instead, you would have Devin Booker bring the ball up. And it would be his sole responsibility, which it was actually a shared responsibility up till um, Chris Paul got injured. Sometimes D-Book brought it up, sometimes Chris Paul brought it up. So it was bizarre to me that they chose to keep Chris Paul on the floor. But I didn't necessarily disagree with the, disagree with the decision because Chris Paul is such a leader. Is all the little things he does, um, aside from all this scoring and everything like that. Um, the big highlight for me was DeAndre Ayton, how he handled Ayton in this game. Ayton had a monster game. 10 for 11 from the floor, 21 points in total with 16 rebounds, 8 offensive rebounds. He did absolutely everything that could possibly have been asked from him, of him. He outplayed Anthony Davis in this game without a doubt. When it comes to Chris Paul and Aiton, why, why did I bring Aiton up with regards to him uh, with Aiton? There was a particular possession where Aiton was underneath the basket and he received the ball and he was completely wide open. He could have just slammed the ball, but he didn't realise he had no defenders around him. And instead of laying the ball up, he took a couple of dribbles, allowed the defender to come back into the play and the uh, what should have been an open basket ever ended up breaking down uh, and he had to kick the ball out on this possession instead of just scoring the ball. Chris Paul's reaction was to immediately, well, as they were running back on defense, he immediately reassured Aiton, gave him, gave him his daps, gave him his props and said, essentially what seemed to be, oh, it's all right, just you're playing a really good game, forget about it, on to the next one. And I think that's exactly the kind of thing Aiton needed then, um, because he is somewhat of a up and down player. Well, he was, especially in his first year. And I think it just was mainly a confidence issue. He's got all the physical tools and assets. Um, he's, I think he's got really nice touch. Of course, his athleticism is off the charts. Um, so, yeah, uh, those are little things Chris Paul does. And I think he brought the best out of Aiton in this game, despite the very little that Chris Paul was actually able to do. But saying that, even when he was in the game, he was a key part of the Suns offense. And this was an offense centered around getting the ball to Devin Booker, especially out of this uh, pick and roll action. Uh, for example, Chris Paul would bring the ball up. You'd get a pick and roll action with Aiton and you'd end up Aiton potentially a dribble handing off the ball to Booker, who was who would be running off ball on the screen, receiving the ball and driving towards the basket. I saw this action 10-15 times, this dribble handle from Aiton, but which also included Chris Paul. Um, it worked practically every time. Because even when they clogged the lane, meaning uh, you know Booker couldn't take a layup, Booker made the correct pass every single time. Booker played an absolutely phenomenal game. 
every time he got double teamed, the ball quickly left his hands um, and he would uh, rotate the ball around the wing. The issue was after Chris Paul got injured, Chris Paul didn't even have a defender on him after he got injured and Booker was practically getting double teamed every time. But still, Booker found a way to make some sort of play on the offense. It was genuinely astounding what he was doing. Um, absolutely phenomenal game. He was by far the best player this game. Um, if he continues to play like that for the rest of the series, the Lakers are in big trouble. Whether they're on form and whether um, their superstars are completely healthy or not. So that's Devin Booker. Uh, he ended up with 34 points, 13 of 26 from the field, 8 assists, 7 rebounds. Just unbelievable, unbelievable performance. Um, I have to give my... This offense, yeah, this, this Lakers didn't have an answer for this offense. And often, even when Booker got doubled, what he would do is find the open man in the middle of the court. There would usually be somebody in in and around like the free throw line area who would be wide open when Booker would get doubled and Booker would find that pass as well a lot of the time so as soon as the double came as soon as Booker saw it coming he would make that pass to that free throw line area and whether it was Bridges whether it was Jay Crowder whether it was at times it was Cam Johnson these guys would be wide open from there and frankly these guys didn't actually make a lot of those wide open shots uh, Jay, Jay Crowder was 3 of 10, 0 of 7 from the three-point line. Miles Bridges was 4 of 12. Um, Cam Johnson was 3 of 7, which is which is better. But yeah, the Suns actually missed a lot of shots on the offensive end. Yeah, they got 99 points, um, which actually is quite a low score. And I said their offense was amazing because it was. Don't be fooled by this low score. They missed a lot of open shots. And Chris Paul was also injured for a, a big portion of this game. And you even had campaign fouling out. So, yeah, this, this offense looked like the Lakers couldn't do anything to stop it all game. They'd have, they have to make a lot of adjustments in the next game. Maybe they can continue sending doubles to Booker, but um, in terms of their rotations, if they do send a double that way, they need to try and figure something out. I Honestly, I'm not, an, I'm not a head coach. I don't have the answer for, the, for this team. Um... That's all I think that needs to be said on the Suns end. They actually, they also did a really good job defensively, but I'm actually going to talk about the Lakers' offense because, yes, the Suns did a good job defending, but LeBron was not 100%. And I think it's something that none of the commentators mentioned, but it was evident he wasn't 100%. Why is that the case? Firstly, he made two really good three-point shots in the first quarter, and... I saw that and thought, right, he's going to be aggressive. This game is looking to score. But LeBron, I genuinely don't remember him driving the ball towards the basket once. Like, he was so incredibly passive around the perimeter the whole game. There were so many times the ball was swinging around the perimeter, it would get into his hands. And you'd think he should at least try to drive towards the basket. Even if they choose to rotate somebody over... With his amazing passing ability, he's going to find somebody open in the corner. But there was zero playmaking from LeBron this game because he just wasn't running this game, <laughs> offensively or defensively. So it showed me that clearly there's something wrong. He's still not fully recovered from the injury. Um, or at least he was looking at this game as kind of like a take-it-easy type game. Um, 
Started, bear in mind, he started 10 assists, but yeah, he had 10 assists because he was pretty much getting the ball out of his hands whenever it was possible. Anthony Davis, genuinely, he got outplayed. Um, I, I don't know if it was a mentality problem. I, I don't know what it was. I did notice that there were a couple of times where he settled for those mid-range shots. Um, he wasn't like... He, he didn't post up at all really i think there was one possession i remember we had his back to the basket and say bullied his and tried to bully his defender didn't post up at all and given his frame given his strength you need to do it a couple of times because he needs to have that threat because that's a massive strength of his yes he can shoot and yes he's got a mid-range game but that shouldn't be the main part of his offense and Aiton isn't a stalwart defender at this stage in his career he's, he's an okay defender for a big man but he doesn't move his feet anywhere near as well as say Anthony Davis does on the defensive end I think Anthony Davis if he chose to post up Aiton a lot he would not only get he would not only cause Aiton a lot of trouble he'd also get Aiton in foul trouble as well so I think he needs to post up and me be more aggressive in the post certainly um that was his biggest show I believe Drummond did a, he did a good job on the offense, uh, offensive rebounding end and rebounding generally. He had nine rebounds, seven offensive rebounds. He had 19 minutes, and I thought he was one of the key players for that in this game. They needed to give him more minutes to try and... He was the one playing aggressively against Aiton, trying to slow him down. Um, if Anthony Davis isn't up for it in the minutes, Drummond isn't on the floor, then Drummond needs to be doing that because Anthony Davis wasn't challenging Aiton one-on-one like he needed to be doing. Uh, the Lakers guard play I believe uh, actually I wouldn't say it was an issue because um, Schroeder I felt like he had a pretty good game um, like he was involved in the offense he contributed defensively KCP he actually was 1 of 7 from 3 and 2 of 9 from the field but to be honest he had a lot of wide open shots he was he positioned himself very well they just didn't fall down this game I, f- I feel like he played a good game. The shots just weren't falling and that happens sometimes. So I don't think the alarm bells should be ringing. Um, and I don't think... I wouldn't necessarily put, put it as a horrible performance. He wasn't a massive detriment to his team. Caruso, I think, had a really good performance. 24 minutes and he had 10 points, 4-9 from the field, 2-4 from 3. Um, he had a couple of really nice aggressive drives. He was the only player on the team, or again, who I remember aggressively driving the ball towards the rim. The Lakers weren't doing that nearly enough. Um, and not just that, he was really doing a good job defensively. He was probably the only defender who was getting really physical and just um, trying his hardest to disrupt Booker. I felt like Caruso was their go-to guy for uh, Booker, or at least he should be going forward in this series. I, yeah. His minutes should not fall below 20 minutes for the rest of the series, I believe. Um, who was missing in this game, however, was Carl Kuzma. Uh, supposedly, th- th- apparently, he was on the floor for 19 minutes this game. I do not believe this. This is not. This cannot possibly be true. Maybe he was wearing Harry's invisibility cloak because. I remember him receiving the ball maybe twice, three times. There's one time I think he got blocked uh, pretty horrendously. And that, that's actually the only possession I really remember of him. He did nothing. 
Um, defensively, did nothing. Um, yeah, if he's going to play like that again and just um, really not choose to... Like, he's gotten criticism in the past for maybe trying to do too much and uh, taking shots that he shouldn't be taking on this team. But in this game, he, he there was nothing, no passion. The few times that I saw him, yeah, he was sulking around the perimeter. Um, yeah. I, as a reaction thing, I think in the next game, if I was the coach, I'd play him like 10 minutes just to see what I get out of him for those 10 minutes because to, what I saw today was, yeah, pathetic. Um, I think that's all I have to say about this game. The main takeaway is for the second game in the series and going forward, the Lakers need to figure out how to stop uh, Booker because they weren't managing it tonight. Um, when it comes to the Lakers' offense, I don't think they're going to have as many issues as they, ha as they had tonight because I feel that if LeBron does get back to full fitness um, and if he's aggressive, this team is totally different. Yes, Anthony Davis struggled this game, but um, he's too good a player not to find his feet in, at, at least at some point during this series. So I wouldn't be too worried about him if I was a Lakers fan. And to be fair, like I said, the rest of the team, I don't think they did, had necessarily too bad a performance this game. It's really like the two main guys, LeBron and Anthony Davis, they didn't play how you'd expect, um, you know, two superstar players to play. Right, this next game, wow, I talked about that for 15 minutes plus, but I think it warranted that kind of discussion because it was a really, really interesting game. Um, so I'll quickly go over this Wizards 76ers game. Wow, um, I had so much fun watching this game. Um, Tobias Harris was godlike. He, it felt like it, he didn't miss the entire game. It says he missed 14 shots. He was 15 to 29 from the field, but anytime they needed a big basket, he made it. Uh, he, he, yeah, genuinely, he was absolutely incredible. He, he looked like an absolute superstar this game. Like Kawhi. Oh, what we expect from Kawhi, what we expect from Paul George. Like, he played at that kind of level. Um, spectacular. Please watch his highlights if, um, if you haven't checked out this game's highlights. The fact that he's gone up a level since that contract and hasn't been defined by it and has actually gotten better and I think been a real asset for them this season. In this series, like, the Wiz have nobody to guard him. Um, I don't know. Guys get overpaid sometimes. There's only three years left in the deal. He's getting better, not worse. Embiid was a bully in the post. It, does, it didn't matter whether they had Len on him, whether they had Daniel Gafford, Robin Lopez. He absolutely shat on all of them. Um, 9 of 16, 30 points. But importantly, um, when they were doubling and tripling him, <laughs> which they were doing at times, he was getting the ball out and finding the likes of Tobias Harris, finding the likes of Barry, Danny Green, Seth Curry. Um, I mean, yeah, this. even though the Sixers, they shot 31% from three. Again, we'd expect that to be much better in the uh, following games because they, again, uh, like the Suns, um, they had a lot of open shots. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd expect the 76ers to shoot better from three. And for that reason... I, I think it's difficult to see the 76ers not sweeping this series. They looked that good in this game. Ben Simmons did exactly what they expected of him when it came, came to his uh, defensive stops. 
He had 15 bloody rebounds, which is obviously a joke. And he had 15 assists, Ben Simmons did. He didn't need to score in this game. Doc Rivers really has found a, an, an amazing role for him on this team. Like, the offense is working so well despite Simmons' flaws and what he brings defensively is just so great that, yeah, um, his flaws didn't matter. And whenever he was on Beal, he was the guy that gave Beal some difficulty. Beal still went off of 33 uh, and he was 13 of 23 from the field. But Beal had the kind of game where he just made a, a variety of stupidly difficult shots. If he manages to replicate this kind of performance for the rest of the series, I'll be shocked. Because there were a number of runners um, to his left. You know, like when you're going towards a basket as a right-handed player and you have to take that like leaning running um, uh, jump shot, but leaning to your left after, you know, driving from the right-hand side of the court. I'm not sure if anyone understands what I mean, but yeah, a leaning left jumper, let's call it that, um, while you're also running towards a basket. For me, that's one of the most difficult shots to take and it's usually a very inefficient shot for NBA players but Beal made several of those shots and yeah the degree of difficulty on his shots in this game was stupid so again although this was a seven point game um, it required an absolutely spectacular performance from Beal for that to be the case and yeah it was it's just difficult for anyone to replicate that kind of performance um, so yeah, uh, incredibly impressed with the 76ers, particularly their defense. They made it so difficult for the uh, Wizards. And despite that, the Wizards showed a lot of fight as all Westbrook teams do. Westbrook, I feel, had a very good game. 14 assists, 5 rebounds, 16 points. But yeah, that 14 assists, like he made the right play time and time and time again. He had 6 turnovers, but he, every single pass he made was like a high risk but high reward pass and he could have easily if it was anyone else he could have easily had like 12 13 turnovers because he still ended up getting some beautiful assists and plays um just finding really tight windows um so yeah i feel like westbrook had a really 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 good game so if you're the wizards you take that um two of your main guys getting that many points and in fact, the Wizards, they shot 55% from the field, 40% from three, 80% from the free throw line. Why on earth did they lose? I'm looking at these, these stats, ridiculous. They had the same number of rebounds as the 76ers. So they shot better across the board than the 76ers. I'm trying to work out why exactly they lost. I mean, yeah, it seems like the 76ers, they had five more shots than the Wizards um yeah maybe the Wizards seems to have they had 15 turnovers to the 76ers 11 turnovers so yeah maybe yeah it was seven point game maybe this game was closer than it appeared to me on the screen but what it seemed like to me watching the game was that the Wizards really played as well of a game as they possibly could have played like they all were really doing a, a fantastic job I feel but Embiid offensively um, Tobias Harris offensively they were just far too much and the thing is with Embiid's game he will easily replicate that for the rest of the series because Len is no match for him Len will get bullied like that every single time he comes against him same with Gafford, same with Lopez um, yeah so for that reason 
uh, for, due to how good the 76ers defense looked, I don't see if it does go beyond uh, four games beyond the sweep, it's going to be four-one, and th- I don't think there's any possibility of the Wizards taking the series. So that was my look into two of the more interesting playoff games that we had in the um, opening set of fixtures uh, for these playoffs. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hope you enjoyed the solo recording uh, from yours truly. Uh, it was a lot of fun to actually experience these playoffs as a fan because you you had the, like really good crowds come out for these games and yeah, you heard noise through your TV that wasn't an inauthentic fake crowd noise. Like you, you heard actual human beings screaming and supporting their teams. And um that electric atmosphere, I think, um, is going to make these um, experiences of viewing these playoff games a whole lot more enjoyable. And once I get uh, finished with my exams, um, I'm really looking forward to, hopefully, me and the, your boy Coom, we're going to be able to watch some of those games, despite them being at like, you know, 3, 4 in the morning. Hopefully, we'll at least watch one of those finals games as a duo, because that's what we do as a duo, right? We commentate once a week, uh, so you know that's what we got to do. We got to at least uh, back at th- one three a.m. watching together. But yeah, um, really excited about these playoffs. And uh, like I said, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And uh, for the next few weeks, I think we've got a couple of specials lined up, um, mainly due to the fact that I'm going to be sh- both of us. I think are going to be sh- short on time, but especially myself, I've got my exams. Like I said, so. Um, we've got some pre-recorded stuff for the next couple of weeks but so yeah I hope you guys enjoy that Um, and I think the next time I'll catch you guys live in about three four weeks or so but until then peace and take take care of yourself everyone